Okay. So I'd like to hear from you. Who has had an, an opportunity this week to practice forgiveness? Anyone be willing to share what that was like? You don't have to give who it was or that kind of thing. We don't need to know those details, but did anybody have the opportunity to extend forgiveness and how did that go? Or maybe someone forgave you. Maybe maybe you were the one that was being forgiven. How did that go? Good. Glad to hear. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I had already forgiven him, but I brought something up last week in a more joking way, and I feel like that it should not have been mentioned. So I told him if I do that ever, please bring it to my attention. And, you know, because I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I haven't forgiven him and bring something up that I shouldn't. Good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it definitely takes humility as parents to ask their children, especially for um, for forgiveness, but that's good. So Tracy had mentioned, you know, last week I started with an introduction to a true story. Uh, Greg and Scott Willis, um, or Scott and uh, Janet Willis, and it was, if you weren't here, um, it happened in, I think, 94, where they were driving uh, back from Milwaukee to Chicago, and a piece of truck that was in front of them fell off and they ran over it and they had a man full of kids and um, he couldn't swerve to avoid it so he ran over it and it got stuck underneath the van and by the time he got stopped it had punctured the gas tank and then the, the metal sliding on the pavement had kicked up the sparks and it ignited the van. The van is on fire as they come to a stop and um, they try to get the kids out but some of them they thought died instantly and they had, you know, like 12 kids, not all of them were there at that time, but uh, most of them died in that fire. And then they found out later, um, originally they were told that it was instant, they didn't feel any pain, and then they found out later that some of them suffered during it. And the irony was, um, well, the, the driver of the truck got his license illegally from George Ryan, who was back in that bribery scandal. And that very day, she had voted for George Ryan, and the driver of the truck had ignored warnings all day that there was a piece of your truck about ready to fall off. So it, it left them in a really hard spot, um, knowing who was responsible for this. You know, and so so we had asked the question, how do you respond to that? So one one side of the spectrum would be anger and bitterness, which would be sinful. 
Um, at least it, it could cross over into there very easily. But then the other side of the spectrum could just be, okay, you're forgiven. So they haven't even asked, they haven't even acknowledged anything wrong, we just forgive them. And so the question we asked was, is there a better way than those two? And that's what we'll really look at today. But Tracy, you have uh, personal connections with the people who know the family. Can you give everybody an update on that? So when he was talking about it, I thought, surviving children. There was there was like eight or nine kids, three of them were older, so there was a, quite a big age gap. Um, and he now has 12 children of his own. But she said that um, while this was happening, the mom of the burning children was shouting out, God is good all the time while this was happening. And that brought um, several EMTs and medics to Christ in her response to how she handled that and um, and she since wrote a couple of books but um, yeah just really encouraging um, that her faith was so strong in that moment of desperation so so we will we will finish this section on forgiveness at least the spot they were in when this article was written with their relationship with Governor Ryan, then former Governor Ryan and the truck drivers. Um, but we had talked about forgiveness, and, and then we ended on the part of some common struggles that people have with forgiveness. So rather than just rush through it and move on to something else, I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about some common struggles people have with forgiveness before we move on. So one struggle is they, they say something like, I can't forgive, I was hurt too badly. So the thing I asked you to do was, if you were able, was go home and take a look at these struggles, and then how would you respond? If somebody came to you and said, I just, I just can't forgive them. I was hurt too bad. How would you respond to that? my wife and I talked about this one this week one of the things that came up was in this response it's all about the other person has done this really bad thing when probably what we need to deal with is what we have going on on the inside of it might be more of I can't forgive you I haven't dealt with all the pain I feel over this and um, so I think I would try to help that person or myself deal with looking away from how bad was the thing they did to what am I actually processing and how do I actually feel about this, um, which I think may apply to a lot of these, but mm -hmm. this one in particular that was talking about. Good, thank you. I think I make even though you're right or wrong, you should go to the person and ask for forgiveness. You're, in a way, letting the devil, if you don't correct it, the devil's going to interfere with that. And you don't want that. If you get a, like I said, life's too short, and you're hurting nobody but yourself, actually. That's how I look at it. Yeah, good, good thoughts there. It, 
it may surprise people if you if you actually said, you know what, that's partly true. You can't forgive them, but there's a qualifier on your own. So apart from Christ, what did Jesus say? We can do nothing. So it makes sense that if you don't have the Spirit of God within you, if you don't have Christ, I think forgiveness would be too hard and costly in a lot of a lot of instances. But if we have God's grace, if we have the Spirit inside of us, that's a good reminder that it gives us all the power we need to be able to forgive someone. So, as we've been saying, if we don't forgive, it's because we're not thinking of our own sin. We're magnifying their sin against us, and we're minimizing our sin against God. Any other thoughts or questions with that? So feel free to jump into the because I like the discussion part of it. A uh, second struggle is I don't feel like forgiving. So someone comes to you, um, they're saying, I'm not sure what to do, I just don't feel like forgiving them. What would you say to that? Any other thoughts? How would we feel if Christ told us, I want to forgive you? Mm-hmm. Because that's where the first forgiveness comes from him. Mm-hmm. And from that, we forgive others. Yeah, great point. Mm-hmm. Very good. I just think we'd be in a really weird spot if we only did things that felt good all the time. Like, I, if I only feel like doing this or that. <coughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah, those are those are great uh, great comments there. So if you remember, uh, forgiveness is not a feeling. Yes, it involves a feeling. God's not calling us to be robots, and you know, just the same way with love. I mean, love includes our feelings, but love is more than a feeling. So same way with forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is that promise to release that person from judgment and to entrust them into God's hands. So it's not it's not uh, limited to a feeling. Forgiveness is something we can do. And we brought up that beautiful promise. Does anybody remember that? When you say you forgive somebody, what are you promising? And it's okay to use your notes if you want to. So it's a, it's a promise not to bring this sin up against my, up to myself, not to bring this up to that other person to hurt them with it, and not to bring it up to others. So when we don't feel like forgiving, we are, um, we are reminding ourselves of that promise and, and continuing to uh, proclaim that promise to ourselves right there. What have I promised to do to that other person? Any other thoughts or comments on that um, struggle right there? I don't feel like forgiving. Okay. The third struggle is 
what if the other person doesn't confess and, re and repent? Then what do we do? Now, the reason I bring this up is, well, actually, let me ask it as a question. So is forgiveness unconditional or conditional? Meaning, is forgiveness something you do no matter what they do? Or do you forgive conditioned on their repentance? Which one do you think it is? Maybe we'll take a vote. <laughs> let's, let's determine our doctrine by voting here. So, <laughs> all right, raise, raise your hand if you think that forgiveness is unconditional. So no matter if the other person asks or not, we are forgiven. Okay, that's okay. Who thinks it's uh, conditional? So you forgive conditioned on their repentance. Not, not too many on that side. <laughs> What if I told you the answer to the question was yes? <laughs> what do you mean yes? Now, the Bible actually talks about um, both kinds. So, for example, there, there are some, some scripture. Uh, let's take a look at this. Um, Mark 11.25, if somebody could look that up. Mark 11.25. And then Luke 23.34. So there, there are some scripture that talk about unconditional forgiveness. So who has uh, Mark, uh, let's see. Mark eleven twenty five? Feel free to read it if you have it. stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Okay. So notice in that, in that passage right there, there's no mention of whether or not they ask. There, that's just an unconditional forgiveness mentioned in that, that passage right there. So how about Luke 23, verse 34? Okay. So there, there we would have what would, I think, be uh, more of an unconditional forgiveness right there. So when I think about, but, but that's not the only scriptures that we deal with here. So um, can somebody look up Luke 17, verses 3 and 4? Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. And then another person, uh, Acts 2, 36 through 41. Acts 2, 36 to 41. So let's do Luke 17, verses 3 and 4 first. Okay. So what do you see from forgiveness in that verse right there? Is it conditional or unconditional? He's saying, he's saying, if your brother, if your brother uh, repents, then forgive him. 
So we would say from that passage right there, it's more of a conditional forgiveness if he, if he repents. Uh, how about Acts 2, 36 to 41? Anybody have Acts 2, 36 to 41? In that context right there, um, forgiveness is connected with uh, confession of sin. Forgiveness is connected with repentance. It's not apart from repentance or acknowledgement of our sin. So if we're looking at it biblically, we have some verses that are going to line up in the conditional category. We're going to have some verses that are going to line up in the unconditional category. So what one is it? Now we know that scripture doesn't uh, put itself against each other. So it's not contradicting each other, but we need to make sense of this. How do we balance the unconditional verses with the conditional verses? And so the way the way I like to think about it is two levels. So I believe that um, unconditional forgiveness can. If there's unconditional forgiveness, if we forgive no matter what, no qualification, and that's all that forgiveness is limited to, I believe it's cheap in sin. Because there's, it doesn't force anybody to acknowledge it or own it. And strictly speaking, God doesn't forgive us unconditionally. We're forgiven conditioned upon Jesus and his work for us. So strictly speaking, God's forgiveness of us is conditioned on our on Christ's work for us. So... In God's economy, there's not unconditional forgiveness. But as we... Uh, yeah, go ahead. It seems like you always forgive them in your heart, but you're kind of waiting for them to ask for forgiveness. And the whole time, you're actually praying that they will utilize and forgive them. You must have been reading my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's what we call... Uh, so level one for level one. Okay. So level level one forgiveness is what we what we call attitudinal forgiveness. Attitudinal. Uh, don't necessarily look at my spelling. Put that a grain of salt. But um, attitudinal forgiveness is what we would call heart forgiveness. And so those passages that we mentioned earlier, um, 
such as Mark 11.45 and Luke uh, 23.34, um, that would be an internal forgiveness. It would be committing that person to God and releasing them from our judgment, forgiving them from the heart. So there's a number of verses here that, that talk about that. Um, I'll, I'll read some of them. I won't look them all up, but just for example, um, James 4.12 there's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So that's a reminder that we're not God, we're not the judge. Uh, Genesis 50, 19, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? But Joseph forgave them because he recognized he wasn't in the place of God. Uh, Romans 12, um, 19 to 21, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this heart forgiveness releases... So, so there's two things. One, it releases them... Uh, from, from that debt they owe. And then secondly, it rids our heart of bitterness. So let's take a look at Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So if you don't forgive your brother or sister from the heart, it's going to lead to a harboring of bitterness and anger there. So your attitude toward them, unconditionally, no matter if they acknowledge their sin or not, has to be one of forgiveness. So if you're angry toward them, if you're bitter toward them, um, from your heart, that would be wrong because we're called to do this unconditionally. Okay, so so this at this level one forgiveness, this attitude toward the person is unconditional forgiveness. But that's not all that we have to say about that. We have level two forgiveness, and I'm not trying to make this sound like. This is for everybody, but then if you're really spiritually mature, you can move up to level two. It's not that. What you're going to see about level two is this is conditional. So who is it? What's it conditioned on? It's conditioned on their repentance. So this would be unconditional. This would be conditional. So think of level two as transactional forgiveness, granted forgiveness. You're telling them that you forgive them. Transactionally, it's completed when level two happens. So this would be your transaction. So again, added, uh, level number one is your attitude toward them and your heart. 
Level two is the transaction is completed. Conditions on their repentance. So we mentioned Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, if your brother repents, Acts 2, 36 to 41. Uh, that, that's God forgives us, conditioned on um, our repentance. So level two forgiveness is what reconciles the relationship. This, this will reconcile the relationship. A little, um, maybe a little challenging to, if this is the first time you've heard something like this, you, you were probably hoping it would be one or the other, and now we're saying, well, no, actually, there's a heart forgiveness that's unconditional, but there's a transaction part of it that's conditional. That can be a, a kind of complicated sometimes in our minds to work through that. Okay, so in the case of uh, Scott and Janet Willis, they had a great. Um, example of how they did this. Uh, so they um, they wrote to Governor Ryan and they said this. Uh, this was 12 years later. They said um, almost 12 years have passed since November 8, 1994. The headache remains but has softened. Janet and I have prayed not to have a bitter or revengeful spirit. We've got the attitudinal forgiveness. These feelings have only been occasionally, only occasionally flared up, but have not consumed or dominated our thoughts and are not the motive for this letter. Our thoughts are not, not on punishment. That's for the court to decide. The real tragedy is that no reconciliation has yet been attained between George Ryan and Janet and me. My wife and I have a strong desire to forgive Governor Ryan, but it must be on an honest basis. Sorrow and admission. Now they recognize that this hasn't happened yet. So level two forgiveness is not always possible. The other person may never own up to their sin. They may never confess it and ask for forgiveness. You can always do this. This is your responsibility right here. Now we are to do everything on our responsibility to work towards level two forgiveness. But if the other person doesn't want to acknowledge their sin and confess it, then the transaction can't be completed yet. So that will raise the question, what if this person never repents? What if it's a family member? What if it's somebody in your church that, that never owns up to it? What do you do then? Now we'll get to that in a second, but I just want to hear any questions or pushback as you've heard these two things. You can feel free to disagree with me. Um, in, in the theological world today, there are uh, people who would land more closely on this side of it. There are people who would land more closely on the conditional side of it. Uh, one of the resources in the resource center is called Unpacking Forgiveness by Chris Braun. He's, he's um, probably, I'd say, completely conditional. Um, there's other people who sort of... Uh, like myself, see some more of a relationship between the two of these. So level one or level two, although they may not always call it that. So John MacArthur, for example, he seems to be more of um, where I would be, that, that there's this part and then there's this part. So I'm not saying, you know, just because I say that this is what I believe doesn't mean that you necessarily have to believe that. You, you feel free to disagree or hold your own convictions. So what are your thoughts or questions? Yeah. 
But there's still your parents, you know. Don't disconnect from your relationship and don't, um, you know, take an L on, so to speak. But you also don't let them continue to do type of, you know, verbal or, you know, continue to be abusive. Mm -hmm. Stand up. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing that many struggle with around here, it's not as apparent, but where we came from, it was very, very common for there to be some kind of childhood abuse. And so there were these broken relationships with parents, with other family members, and they were figuring out how to process that. If I forgive them and they've abused me or they knew about the abuse but didn't do anything with it, what does that look like? Are they supposed to kind of let them around my kids? Um, Am I supposed to want a close relationship with them? So it's real struggles that people have with, with this type of forgiveness here. Uh, but we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But yeah, great point. Any other? Yeah. And I think sometimes we can um, dip our toe in level two, where we aren't publicly holding it against somebody, and we say, oh, I've forgiven them. But in our heart, we're still full of bitterness about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's just so many facets of this, so many different ways to turn it and look at it and examine um, where we really are um, with other people that it's, it's hard to, I appreciate the attempt to simplify a very hard, complex thing. Mm -hmm. So next, next week I'll have a handout on bitterness, so battle of bitterness. Um, because my, my concern would be we have to be careful that we truly forgive from our hearts. If you're holding on to bitterness, you haven't really forgiven that person. So that's something to press into if you're struggling with. Uh, so bitterness would be like a, a long-standing anger, a continual anger toward that person. So you'd want to press into bitterness um, just to make sure you don't get to that point. Any other thoughts or questions? Yeah, very, very true. I like that. So let's let's talk about what if the person doesn't repent. So the normal way that we deal with sin is through confession and forgiveness. That's that's the process that God has given us to deal with sin through confession and repentance. But some people are not equipped for this kind of transaction. They could either be unbelievers, or they just haven't had the correct biblical teaching. There's probably a, n a number of other reasons that we could add to that as well. 
But if you think about someone who's not a believer, it's ideal that they would confess their sin and ask for forgiveness. But should we really expect that? I don't think that we should, right? They're not a believer. It's, again, it's great if they do, but if you're, if, if an unbeliever has sinned against you and you're holding on to, well, I need them to confess that. I need them to come forward. Um, again, it's not wrong to continue to encourage that and stir that within them, but there can come a point where you're just going to realize that person's probably not going to do that. So what am I going to do about it? Or if it's another Christian that maybe hasn't, hasn't grown up in a church where this has been taught, they just don't know about it, and you're you're in you know some some kind of thing like that. There's an understanding there that they're just not equipped for this transaction. Yet. So you may need to unconditionally forgive. Uh, Mark 11, 23 to 26 um, talks about that. So at this point, if, if this is never going to happen. And again, I'm speaking in a general sense, right? But try not to, in cases of abuse, I'd want to qualify some things like that, or, or where there's been, you know, physical danger. So I'm going to qualify. I'm speaking generally here, but if you have, there's there are certain situations in which you have to think carefully uh, about all of this. But generally speaking, um, you may just need to unconditionally forgive them. So, they're either an unbeliever or they're not equipped for the transaction. You could continue this out and always see that, that, um, that there's a break in that relationship, but you may choose to unconditionally forgive and move on with the relationship. We're definitely told not to take revenge. Uh, that's in Romans 12, like we talked about, 14 to 21. We want to show them love. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 44. There's a place for God's wrath. So, I mean, forgiveness is about the recognition that we're not the judge here. When I fail to forgive somebody, it's because I'm stepping into the role as judge. Well, I don't care that God's forgiven you. I'm the judge. And until I forgive you, things are not going to move forward. Uh, so remember that God is the judge there. And, uh, you know, 2 Timothy 4, verses 14 to 15 um, Deuteronomy 32-35 remind us that God will have his place for his wrath. Now how about Matthew 7-6? Anyone familiar with that? It's kind of a funny thing, funny, funny statement that Jesus says there. He says, don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give to the dogs what's holy. Now, we could spend a lot of time on Matthew 7, uh, you know, those, those first six verses right there, but about the, what do you mean by do not judge, but that's not the point of the day. The point is, Jesus even recognizes that you can get to a place where that person's just not going to be equipped to have that conversation. And if you keep pressing them, if you keep trying to dive into things, if you keep throwing that before them, what are they going to do? They're going to turn on you and attack you. So there's a recognition like we just need to move on with this. Uh, we, are, we are told to be gracious to all people. Luke 6, verses 27 to 31. We're told to think the best of others. We're told to trust God, Psalm 73. We're told to watch out for bitterness. You see that, especially Hebrews 12, 15 to 17. 
And then uh, possibly even church discipline, Matthew 18. So again, if, if there's danger to your safety, then level two forgiveness may not be always possible. So abuse or rape would be common examples of that. Uh, if someone has abused you or raped you, it would be unwise probably to seek level two, that level two transaction with them. Um, I mean, again, you have to be very wise if you're going to do that. Uh, so use caution and wisdom if you believe that there's a danger for yourself um, or the possibility that they could hurt you or themselves when confronted with their sin. So in the, in the common case of childhood abuse, level two uh, forgiveness is not always possible. And there may be that place, and there probably is going to be that place where, say, the abuser was a parent where they're just not going to be able to be with your kids. And you're going to, I mean, they may have never acknowledged that, um, recognized that as a sin, anything like that, right? And so while you can still honor them as parents, there's going to be that wisdom part of it that's, that's just going to say, no, this is just not going to be possible, at least in this life. So that doesn't, there's no way to answer, you know, every, like, you can't give a one-size-fits-all to every single question out there, but we can use... Uh, the community of believers and the spirit of God and the wisdom that he's given us through his word to navigate some of these trickier situations. So if you've got maybe one of a, like more of a trickier situation and you want to talk about it, you know, feel free to reach out to somebody, get some wisdom in this um, to know how to proceed. So struggle number four, I can't forgive them unless I know they won't do it to me again. Okay, so some people struggle to forgive because... They want to know with a certainty that that other person won't do that again. How would you respond to that? I'm so grateful that God doesn't apply that standard to me. <laughs> if, I, if I expect to receive that, I need to dispense with that. Yeah, good. Can any, can any one of us guarantee that the other person won't be that thing? Any, anybody that powerful? Oh, no. We kind of wish we, wish we could, right? But, but we can't. Um, you're exactly right, Darren. So God forgives us, but his forgiveness doesn't depend on us not doing that same sin again. So God forgives us, but he doesn't say, well, I'm only forgiving you based on you never do that thing again. Oh, we'd be, we'd be done for like day one. We already be blown it. So God doesn't do that. Um, when we're forgiving somebody, we are trusting not that person, but we're trusting God and relying on him. Only God knows the future and is in control of it. We aren't. Now, well, that may raise the question, though. How do you... You know, if somebody steals your car today in the parking lot, if, if you gave them the keys to move it and they steal your car, and, you know, they get caught somewhere and then you get your keys back and stuff, and then they say, hey, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? Oh, by the way, can I borrow your keys again? <laughs> How do we navigate that? We'll get to that in just a little bit right here. Um, but any other, any other thoughts or questions on uh, that particular struggle right there? I can't forgive unless I know they won't move to me again.
I just probably caution you of the truss trap. The truss trap really states that you have to have a certain level of trust in the other person for their relationship to work. And the problem, like it builds the whole relationship on trust. And the problem with that is, biblically, relationships aren't built on trust, they're built on love. So we're, we're never told in the Bible to trust someone else. We're always told in the Bible to trust God. And I, what I've found is that people who say, um, yes, I'll forgive you when I can trust you, you never get there. Because everything that other person does, you're always viewing it through this framework of, well, I know what their motives are. I know what their agenda is. And they can never do enough good things to ever get back your trust. Right? So trust is something that has to be granted. I agree that there's part of it that is earned, but there's also a part you just have to grant it. And if you're, if you're making it entirely something they have to earn, I don't think they can do it. I don't think I could. And, and the Bible doesn't encourage us to do that. So we're to operate relationships based on love, not based on trust. Now, the person should work to be trustworthy, but that's a little bit different than saying the whole relationship to build on trust. So our fifth struggle, uh, does forgiveness mean that I forget what happened to me? What are your thoughts on that? How would you respond to that? I, I can't forgive them because I just can't forget scripture with that um, so that they take those passages such as uh, Isaiah 43:25 um, talks about the Lord not remembering our sins so we talked about this earlier that doesn't mean that God has divine amnesia um, where he loses all consciousness of what happened to us it means that he's not bringing that sin back up against us again um, now I think that uh, it would be dangerous sometimes to forget, in some cases, what that person actually did to you. Um, I mean, if they uh, tried to kill you, and you were just like, I'm going to forget about that. I'd be like, I don't know about that. <laughs> hey, you want to go for a ride next week? Oh, yeah, you, you tried to stab me with a knife the last time you were in the car. I'll just forget about that. 
And you're like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So it, it could be dangerous. But, but generally speaking, um, if you keep dwelling on what they did to you, it will present challenges of forgiveness. I think that's pretty true. The more we dwell on what they did against us, the more difficult it will be to forgive them. Struggle number six. Does forgiveness mean there are no consequences? How would you respond to that? Because a lot of times people can come and it's almost the ex expectation that, well, I've asked you for forgiveness, so I don't understand what the deal is. I don't understand why, you know, maybe you're a little standoffish or um, these things are happening. Like, why should there be consequences if I confess my sin? How would you respond to that? So if we, think, if we think about the way that God forgives us, that really, in a lot of ways, serves as our model for the way that we forgive other people. So when God forgives us, he doesn't always take away the consequences of our sin. Um, we see this, uh, say, for example, uh, 2 Samuel 12. That's David's sin there, if you remember that. And what was one of the consequences of David's sin that we see in 2 Samuel 12? Because in there, God clearly says, through Nathan the prophet, I have put away your sin. But he also adds something else in there. So what consequence do you see, even though there's forgiveness? Yeah. Yeah. So there's no way to uh, wind the clock back up. There's no way to put all the toothpaste back in. What's it called? Kyle, what's that thing called that you put the toothpaste in? Yeah, I don't know either. Like a, like a tube. A tube. <laughs> you know, when you, when you squeeze the toothpaste out, you can try to push it back in there, right? But there, you can't make it like they did at the factory. It's going to leave a smear and messiness, right? And same way with, with our forgiveness. God forgives us, but he doesn't just, you know, he doesn't just leave it so there's no consequences to our sin. Uh, so remember... As we, as we think about consequences, um, when another person sins against us, we can't always control or have a say in all of the consequences. For example, if someone uh, does something illegal and the authorities are involved in it, you know, say like CPS or something, there's part of that that is out of our hands. We can't control where that's going to go. Um, but there's still a say that we have in some of those consequences. So just remember this. With consequences, those are a way that God teaches us and helps us to grow. As, as Hebrews 12 puts out, all of us, if we're, if we're God's children, experience his discipline. So God allows all of us to experience the consequences of our sin, not because he hates us, but because it's a way to teach us and to help us to grow.
If there never were any consequences, then what would stop us from doing wrong all the time? So consequences are, are good in that sense. Remember that the consequences should fit the crime. They should be appropriate for what was done. And that's the danger that we always face. Um, we can always make them unbalanced. So even, even throughout the Bible, we see that God has a great deal of concern that consequences always fit the scope of what happens. You see that in the Old Testament law, uh, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There was this apportioned sense of justice. So you see that in Exodus 21, verses 18 to 35. You see it in Deuteronomy 22, 8. Leviticus 6, 1 to 5. Uh, Proverbs 19, 19. Proverbs 18, 19. Um, so the consequences could look like restitution. So the Old Testament law calls for restitution. Um, in fact, you see... Uh, you know, Jesus, and Jesus and John the Baptist, when they were calling people to repentance, they pointed out the need for restitution there. It could be a loss of privileges, a loss of possessions, a lack of trust. So, um, again, a, a number of uh, passages throughout the Bible point out that there are still ongoing consequences for our sins. We want to balance that carefully that it's proportional to what the person has done. And we want to realize that it's a way that God teaches us and helps us to grow. So I think for me personally, it's easy to get unbalanced in consequences with teenagers. And you know, having, having a teenage daughter, um, it's easy to want to... Uh, maybe overreact to some things or maybe in some senses to underreact. So um, if you've got a young child uh, that is um, just being like talking back, refusing to obey, it can be easier to other oh, so Um I'm just going to kind of overlook that, not going to deal with it. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll worry about that later, right? So there's not there's not that there's not a consequence that we always put on for their sin, which we should. But at the same time, when our when our kids grow older, they're not quite as cute and cuddly, and they have a way of like poking at us really good. And so it can be easy to say, "You did what? Okay, there goes." that, and there goes that, and there goes that, and, and there goes that, and as a matter of fact, I'm just going to put you in a dungeon or something. You know, right? So, I just didn't think that's the honesty with it, is, is that um, it's not always easy to balance the consequences for one's sin with the proportion of, of what they're doing. So, I'm not saying that I have the answers to all that. I would just encourage you to think through it. Um, what has the person done? There are, there are part of the consequences that you're going to have a say in, whether that's trust, whether that's being able to take away privileges, things like that. Um, but whatever your response is, whatever your responsibility is in that, just make sure it's proportional for what they've done. Okay. Okay, one more thing with this. Um, in the case of state adultery, okay? It's easy for the offended spouse to carry that 
uh, carry those consequences against the other person for indefinite periods of time, years and years. I'm never going to trust you again. Um, this is this relationship will never be the same. It's never going back to the way it was. Uh, and for years and years, they will continually bring up those consequences or try to punish them with those consequences. Now, in no way does that, you know, again, no way should we uh, underestimate the nature of that sin, but by the same token, to punish somebody indefinitely also is not wrong. Okay, so we just have to think very carefully about this. I know that some of you in this room have been probably hurt very bad by someone else. And you, your flesh would want to make them pay that for the rest of their lives. But that's not the, why, not the way that God treats us. Therefore, that's not the way that we should treat other people. Finally, last one here. Should I forgive myself? Should I forgive myself? So again, another common challenge that people will bring up. Well, I know that God is forgiving me, but I can't forgive myself. Well, what kind of response do you have for that? What would you say to that person? today, um, you know, a lot of people disagree with me on this because they're going to say, well, yeah, I mean, there's three categories of forgiveness. Well, they, they want to use the God category, but they would definitely say that that this is a, a category that people have that they forgive themselves. And I'm not saying that people don't raise that question. I'm not saying that people aren't navigating with that tension, but I think it's the wrong way to frame that whole conversation. So you can double check my work. Um, so you can go home and look through the Bible, look up in your concordance, every mention of forgiveness. Okay, and you're going to see that there's two categories that forgiveness falls under. Vertical and horizontal. Vertical in the sense of God forgiving us. We never forgive God. He's never sinned against us. We don't, we don't forgive him because, wow, he's never sinned against us. So vertical forgiveness, God forgiving us, and then horizontal forgiveness, we are forgiving other people. There's no verses that speak of a third category of forgiving ourselves, but you can double check me. Um, I think what, what, what people are really wrestling with is they're struggling to believe that God forgives them. And so that gets expressed in, I can't forgive myself. But the danger to that is they step in the face of God as judge. And what they say is, God, I know that you've forgiven me, but it doesn't matter. Until I forgive myself, it's not going to be enough. You see the danger of that. So when God says that he forgives us, it's our job, our responsibility to believe that. Fight to believe that. Remind yourself of those verses. Rehearse those truths. Challenge those lies. When God says he forgives, he's not playing around. He truly, truly means that. So if you're struggling with that tension, you know, I've done something, I, I just can't forgive myself, I'd encourage you to think, am I stepping into the role as judge above God? 
or do I need to, and do I need to then really fight to believe how God has forgiven me? Yeah. yeah not really a forgiveness, it's a it's that struggle of guilt or shame, which we confuse too often with each other. Mm-hmm. The things that really are our fault or things that weren't, but we're feeling like they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what we struggle with. Mm-hmm. We want to apply our own judgment against ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that takes us through forgiveness. Um, Next week, we'll pick back up on confession, confession of sins. If you want to prepare for that, you can give it a, a, a try. You've got this thing that says log list, and it really walks you through how to do a log list, how to confess your sins. So that would be great uh, to put into practice. Um, but next week, we will pick back up with the one another of confessing, confession of sin. What looks what what does a good confession look like? Okay. Well, thank you for coming today. I pray that you have a good uh, rest of the day, and I'm sure they've got more snacks and things like that if you haven't had a chance to pick them up on your way out. Thank you.